0: I'm going to be reading from Job chapter 32. So it's on page 6 of your handout. So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite said, I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person the breath of the almighty that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I know. I waited while you spoke, I listened to your reasoning while you were searching for words. I gave you my full attention, but not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you has answered his arguments. Do not say, we have found wisdom, let God, not man, refute him. But Job Job has not marshaled his words against me, and I will not answer him with your arguments. They are dismayed and have no more to say. Words have failed them. Must I wait now that they are silent, now that they stand there with no reply? I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know. For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins, ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. I will show no partiality, nor will I flatter anyone. For if I was skilled in flattery, my maker would soon take me away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, It's a joy to be able to open up and explore God's Word together. I'm going to pray that as we reflect on God's Word to us, that His Spirit will be at work in uh, our hearts and also our minds, leading us towards Him. Uh, That's a good prayer to pray, so let me lead us in a prayer. Lord, as we reflect upon Your Word to us in Job, we ask that Your Spirit may open our minds and our hearts. To what you have to say to us. And we ask this in the name of our Saviour Jesus. Amen. Well, as Jen said at the start today, uh, we've spent over a month reading and reflecting on an ancient Hebrew narrative called Job. It's found in the Old Testament. It's considered a key part of the wisdom literature. It's a story, as you know, of suffering, of extreme suffering, of sitting in the dust and ashes and asking God, why? If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know the story. Job, a righteous, God-fearing man, loses his house, his business, his children, and in in a series of devastating tragedies. And he is left literally sitting in the ashes of his house, scraping his own wounds with a piece of pottery and pleading with God, for answers. His wife tells him to curse God and die, his friends spend a week with him sitting silently, and then when they deem it's time for Job to receive counsel, they conclude he must have done something wrong for God to punish him like this. Job is a book that, like all wisdom, literature operates in the grey. For most of it, there is little black and white. As readers, uh, we're actually given the honoured position of a vantage point just above and to the left of where all the action is taking place. We are observers. And remember that, we are observers of this unfolding story. Now, the last time we were at Job together was chapter 31. Job defends himself. He rebukes his friends for being useless counsellors. And then concludes his defense by pleading with the Lord Almighty to answer him. The stage is set. The climax is approaching. The narrative tension is peaking. If you were watching this scene in a theater, you would actually be looking for God. How's he going to enter? What's going to happen? And then chapter 32. Elihu. Who's Elihu? Apparently he's been listening in on this whole event, 32 chapters worth, but has never been mentioned, not one reference. He's never mentioned after chapter 37 and he has no obvious connection to Job. He's like an actor who's stumbled onto the stage in the wrong scene or even the wrong play. If we're to be more generous uh, to Elihu, he's like Bill Murray in a Wes Anderson film. Appearing, disappearing. Some say that this character is a drop-in to the narrative uh, by a later author who's not actually satisfied with the original text. But most agree that Elihu was in the original. And as observers, the question we must ask is, what is the point of Elihu in the narrative of Job? And why should we care? Well, because Elihu will give further insight into your own experience of pain and your own journey of making sense of things in this messy world of ours. And we read the Bible like this because we do believe that it's God's Word, a Word that has power to speak into our lives even today. So let's begin in chapter 32. What do we know about Elihu? Well, he's young, he's passionate, and he is angry. Elihu has been sitting in the wings, listening to the responses of Job's friends. Uh, He has not spoken up out of respect for his elders, but now the time has come. It's his time to speak, and he steps into the spotlight. We are told he's angry at Job for justifying himself rather than God, He's angry at Job's friends for condemning Job without finding exact cause for their com- condemnation. And he puts it best at the end of chapter 32. He says, I'm full of wo- words and the spirit within me compels me. Inside, I'm like a bottled up wine, like new wine wineskins ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. The songwriter Ben Folds captures this guy in his song Rockin' the Suburbs. He says, I'm pissed off, but I'm too polite when people break in the McDonald's line. Mum and dad, you make me so uptight. I'm gonna cuss on the mic tonight. I don't know how much I can take. Girl, give me something I can break. I'm rockin' the suburbs. And here we have our character Elihu. He is rocking the suburbs of Job's existence. Commentators are split down the middle now as to what to do next. Because Elihu is going to speak for six whole chapters. Some say he is prophetic. He is the John the Baptist of Job, speaking truth in preparation for the Lord. Others say he's comical, giving us as readers a chance to have a giggle and a a breathe before God really does show up in chapter 38. I'm not convinced he's either in the absolute. Remember, the book we're reading doesn't operate in the black and white, it lives in the grey, so let's get grey together. So here's the plan. What does Elihu seem to get right? Because he does seem to get th- some things right. What does Elihu seem to get wrong? And what is the point of this character in the narrative of Job? So what does he seem to get right? Well, firstly, in chapter 33... Uh, he challenges Job with the message that God can and does speak into our suffering, but does not always do so in the way we expect. Uh, In 33, 14, he says, For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. Sometimes our suffering itself is a platform God uses to speak into our lives. Uh, You could argue that Elihu mirrors the words of C.S. Lewis, who wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Elihu affirms that God is a God who speaks, but it may not always be in the way we expect. Secondly, in chapter 32, Elihu affirms the character of God. God is, by very nature, he says, just. And by complaining that God isn't just, doesn't actually change the reality of His character, which, to be fair, is true. And thirdly, in chapter 35, Elihu rebukes what has come to be known loosely as the prosperity gospel. 35 verse 3, he says, yet you, Job, ask Him, what profit is it to me and what do I gain by not sinning? you read on, Elihu declares to Job that just because you trust in God and follow His ways does not put Him in your debt. The God of the Bible does not enter into transactional relationships in a simple, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of way. Finally, and fourthly, Elihu demands Job lifts his eyes. the majesty and the power of God, using language in chapter 37 that's actually really similar to the language God himself is going to use in chapter 38. And as a side point, it's from Elihu's speech in chapter 37 that we have our popular song title, How Great Is Our God? Sing with me. Now, uh, I haven't personally suffered in the way that Job has suffered in uh, the way we read in this text here. Um, But perhaps some of us have. As I recall some of my experiences, though, there was a time for me in 2005 when things spiraled. Um, Good God honoring plans that had been put in place uh, unraveled completely. And my personal experience of that was a deep seated anger with God. It was these truths from Elihu that I needed to hear because I did believe that God owed me for my obedience to Him. Um, Of course, I never say that, because it sounds... But I believed it. I did believe that if I was committed to church, and I led a Bible study, and I committed to going to Bible college, that God owed me good things, a good relationship with a godly partner. That was the deal, right? Surely. But Elihu reminds us today that while following the God of the Bible does lead to blessing... The blessing does not simply equate to every desire of my heart, even if they are God-honouring desires. I think, tragically, many turn away from faith in Jesus because it hasn't delivered them the happy life they had planned for themselves. But this is based on a false view of Christian faith, uh, of God Himself, the promises He has made And of the lives he has graciously given us. The ultimate goal for your life and mine is that we actually grow in the likeness of Christ. And as such, we grow into the salt and the light that our communities need as we await the return of Jesus to make all things new. These are the things promised. I guess the real battle in these seasons is whether we can trust that God is actually good, and we can hang in there to see how He could be at work. And maybe that's where you are today, just hanging in there. Uh, And as a brother in Christ, and with the utmost humility, um, I urge you to keep hanging in there, um, because God is good it's difficult to discard Elihu as simply a comical character um, because he does speak truth and it's truth that I think we need to hear and a truth that maybe you need to hear this afternoon as we reflect on his words and, and that is what Elihu gets right. But what does he get wrong? Well, to be honest, it's difficult to know where to begin. But how about this? Elihu is an arrogant, self-righteous jerk. That's probably the sharpest language I can use in church. Or, if you want to be more academic about it, Robert Alter, who's a Jewish scholar of Hebrew and the Old Testament, Elihu is an irascible, presumptuous blowhard. That's been published. (laughs) So, here are three red flags... Uh, that tell us Elihu has some serious problems. Number one, while claiming to be wise, he displays none of the marks of wisdom as given in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Unchecked anger is a sure sign of a fool, but... The Job narrative tells us that Elihu is identified and driven by his anger. Proverbs 10.14 states, The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool hastens destruction. Well-chosen words are the mark of godly wisdom. But Elihu doesn't shut up. He is relentless. He takes one and a half chapters just telling everyone he's about to speak and they need to listen to him. Number two, Elihu twists Job's words to fit his own argument. In 34 9, he quotes Job as saying, It profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. And then Elihu kind of tears him apart for that statement. But if you go back and read Job's words in chapter 21, Job's actually describing what the th- wicked think in their hearts, not what he thinks. Elihu is kind of manipulative. He twists Job's words to make his own argument fit all in a nice, neat box and sound good. What does Elihu get wrong? He displays none of the marks of true wisdom. He manipulates Job's words to make his own argument sound good. And number three, he is absolutely confident that he knows God, he speaks for God, and he has complete understanding of the situation. Be patient, Job, and listen to me. Be silent and I'll speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak up, for I want to vindicate you. But if not, then listen to me. Be silent and I will teach you wisdom. In chapter 36, bear with me a little longer and I'll show you that there is more to be said on God's behalf. Now, what's wrong with this sort of proud and open God talk? Well, if you're in this narrative, perhaps nothing. Because here's a prophetic voice speaking the words of God. But remember, you and I are not in the narrative. We have a vantage point, we're observers of this unfolding narrative. And as observers, we have one thing that Job, his wife, his friends and good old Elihu does not have. Chapter 1, verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And the deceiver also came with them. The Lord said to the deceiver, Where have you come from? And the deceiver answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to the deceiver, Have you considered my servant Job? And the conversation continues. This is our valued position. You and I have been given this position in the Hebrew narrative. And as such... From our vantage point, we're actually waiting for someone to say, I don't know exactly what's happening here. That, you see, will be the green light that displays wisdom for us as observers and onlookers. Elihu's absolute confidence is the red flag that he's not the answer. He's not the prophet we are looking for. His his ultimate condemnation actually comes in the final sentence of his verbose, rocking-the-suburbs, gas-bagging. Speaking of God, Elihu says, Therefore, people revere him, for he does does not have regard for any who think they are wise. Now, remember, one of the weirdest things about Elihu is that he's never mentioned again in the book of Job. God addresses Job. Uh, He addresses Job's friends... But he has no regard for Elihu, the one who thought he was wise. So what's the point of Elihu in the narrative of Job? And why give him six whole chapters? It's a long read. Because in this epic narrative of suffering and the sovereignty of God, it provides the final stamp on the ridiculous nature of humans taking educated guesses about God and his ways and then speaking as if they have absolute knowledge. Elihu is part comic, part tragic and part fool and so are you and I if we speak with absolute certainty about God and all of his ways. Now, please don't mishear me on this point. The message of Job and of the Bible is certainly not that all matters of God are a mystery. That's the opposite to the message of the Scriptures. Deuteronomy 29.29 declares this, "...the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law." The things revealed belong to us and our children forever." Jesus said that if we know him, we know the Father. And with Jesus, there's no confusion. John 8, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Jesus, there is confidence of truth. There is confidence of forgiveness. There is purpose in the present. And there is assurance of the future these are the things revealed and through faith in Christ they belong to us. But we still don't know everything. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly. The entirety of God and all His ways are still a mystery. Epistemic Arrogance. That is what Elihu demonstrates. The arrogance to make claims that are beyond his knowledge. The arrogance to make claims that are beyond his knowledge. And we are in danger of doing this same thing today. The bushfires or COVID-19 is God's judgment on, insert a particular people group. Is it? The Lord gave me a word that you must take that job. Are you 100% absolutely certain? God will provide a husband or wife for you. Will He? Do you know that? That happened because I prayed for it. Did it? The arrogance to make claims that are beyond our knowledge now the scriptures command us over and over again to speak words of encouragement into each other's lives but we must ensure the words we are speaking to each other are reflective of god's word and his promises not just feel good language jazzed up with spiritual words For the 42 chapters of Job, you and I have been given a privileged position of seeing the bigger picture, our vantage point. It's the narrative's gift to us. But it's only for 42 chapters. And today, as you sit here in church listening to me, you are not an observer. You are in the narrative that is your life. And as much as we wish we could be given the vantage point of Job on our own lives, we do not have it. So what do we do? Well, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. So what do we do? Number one, I think we hold on to everything that God has revealed to us and we use them as the interpretive starting point for our pain, our confusion, and our mess. We hold on to everything God has revealed to us. That's why we get into our Bibles, and we read it, and we learn it, and we study it. Secondly, we speak with humility, and we walk with grace in regards to the things God hasn't revealed to us. To speak with humility is to admit, I don't know everything. And to walk with grace is to stay in step with the Spirit, and that is to foster gentleness, kindness, love, self-control. We speak with humility and we walk with grace in regards to the things God hasn't revealed to us. And thirdly, we set our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Author and perfecter indicate ongoing activity. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You are only midway through the narrative that is your life. And as Paul writes, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is present in the mess. And so we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our often messy faith. Elihu is an odd, strange, quirky character in the narrative of Job. But may God use the failings of Elihu to draw you to himself through a humble trust in the risen Jesus, a desire to speak with humility, to walk with grace and to cling on to the things that God has revealed. So I'm going to pray and ask that God may lead you into that space Uh, this afternoon, this week, that we may know what He's promised us and that we may have humility and grace in the areas that are still unknown. So let me pray. Our Lord and Father, we give You great thanks for the many things You have revealed to us, that we may know You through Your Son, Jesus, that You love us as seen in his death for us on the cross. That there is hope beyond the grave, as seen in his resurrection from the dead. And you have a plan for our life right now, to love you, to love others, and to grow up in the likeness of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all that you have revealed to us. But in humility we realize we still don't know everything as you know we see as in a mirror dimly. Lord, where we don't know everything, gift us with humility and with grace that we may navigate our own mess, trusting in you, and that we we may be an encouragement to others as they navigate the unknown. Lord, lead us by your Spirit in this way, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.